Hi, this is Shotgun Tom Kelly, and now that I have your attention, you wanted to be close to him in the dugout during his impressive 15-year major league career because he was always watching, listening, and looking for an edge. Now, Kurt Bavakwa brings that edge to Dirty Kurt's dugout, where you can listen, watch, and be a part of the most honest, informative baseball show available today. Now, here's Kurt. Well, I told you I was going to be off today, or not off, but we weren't going to have a show. And then I, I'm sitting here and I'm going, you know, with everything that's not going on, there really is a lot that is going on, and it needs to be talked about. And then we had a little bit of some technical difficulties last week with Barry Bloom, who is going to be our guest this week because last week, um, well, let me let me show you what Barry looked like last week. That's Barry last week. So as soon as he came on, I knew that we weren't going to do the whole podcast with Barry Bloom last week because – he had some technical difficulties than anyone outside got in his phone, the whole ball of wax. So I wanted a hundred percent of Barry, not just 50 or whatever it was that he could give us um, in that silly looking hat that he had on, although it was a world series. Um, you know, I'm going with the Miami Dade hat today. I was down at the alumni um uh, Festi festivities down in Miami uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, I got this hat from, uh, God, I don't even remember the last time that I went there. But the, the reason I say that there's a lot uh, going on, I'll get back to Miami Dade in a minute, that there's a lot going on in baseball is the stuff that is going, isn't going on. And it's a lot. It's a lot in my estimation. Uh, I want to talk to Barry about that. Barry happens to be a senior writer for Sportico, by the way, .com. Uh, before that, he wrote for Forbes, which is in a minor magazine. Uh, he covered baseball on and off the field from 2002 through 2018 for MLB.com. Uh, before that, he worked for Bloomberg News and the San Diego Union. That's where him and I uh, first cross pass. Uh, he used to follow uh, the San Diego Ball Club when I was playing for him. And he's also been a voter for the Baseball Hall of Fame since 1992. Yes, we will go there today uh, because I want to ask him if, if he knows what the numbers are right now. But uh, I, I've already showed you the picture of Barry from last week. Let's see him this week. Hopefully he's on. And he's, he's sitting comfortably somewhere where I can ask him questions and he can join the show and be a part of it. And don't forget, we're giving away this $100 Chevron gift card today to whoever's really been listening. We'll do that towards the end of the show. So it'll be uh, probably in about 35 or 40 minutes. So it, it, this is not a guess. It's not a guess thing. 
you need to have listened to the show. It's like I've been telling you for the last three or four weeks. Five weeks, actually. Because I, I prepped you on giving this card away. And guess what? As soon as we give this one away, we're going to get another one for upcoming shows. So I'm giving you fair warning right now. If you listen to the shows, you got a good chance to win the $100 gift card. Barry's ready to rock and roll. I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's rock and roll together. Barry, how are you? Good. I guess since you like that hat so much, I've got it right here. <laughs> no, you know what? I don't think it was the hat as much as it was the angle. <laughs> well, I'm walking along a golf course, uh, get you know, basically trying to find a spot to sit to talk to you. And, uh, you know, it was a uh, awkward situation. Well, let me take I, I want to ask you something. And, Alan, I don't care if you uh, knock like me. This much better. There you go. I like that. I don't care if uh, if you knock me out of this uh, right now. I want to put up that still of uh, of Tony Clark and uh, Rob Manfred. That's a classic. Yeah. There. That was during the World Series. You have a look on your face, not quite as serious as those two guys. But were you able to hear any part of that conversation? Yeah, I mean, it, but basically it, uh, they were talking about the opening of the roof before the game. This is uh, game one of the World Series uh, between the Astros and the Braves. And uh, they were about to open the roof. And there were, that was the discussion about this. In fact, uh, you know, both of them had done dueling press conferences I think Tony had just done his with a bunch of us and then Rob peeled away not to be uh, diminished, but he went to the other side of the field and did his. And, uh, you know, really it's the only time we saw them both during the whole world series where we could talk to them. So this is as simple as whether or not the roof's going to be open, a discussion between Rob Manfred and Tony Clark, and they've got looks on their faces like they despise one another. I, I, you know, I think it was Ron Blum who took those pictures. They ran on AP, and uh, <laughs> you know they were. I, I, I don't. I think they're out of, they're out of character. I, I, I really don't think these guys despise each other. I think it's a, uh, you know, a lot of it is, it's business. You know, you have to deal with each other as you know leaders of your own, one of the owners, one of the labor movement. And, uh, you know, I think they respect each other. And I think as people, they like each other. I mean, you know, Tony was a player for a long time. And he, he generated a lot of respect in the league as, as a player and coming up through the ranks uh, as, a, uh, as a labor leader among the players. And, in fact, you know, that's the way I got to know him and developed a great relationship with him. And he and I are friends. And uh, it was like, especially during the time we played for the Diamondbacks and the Padres, and he was like a bit player coming off the bench. I'd always, as you know, the way I worked the locker room, because as you pointed out, I covered your team when you were there. I just used to sidle up to the the guys who weren't playing and get get the dirt. But Tony was always, because I knew he was erudite and smart, and he was involved in the labor situation, he always kept me grounded on what was going on at, at any point in the labor situation. So. 
Yeah, no, I don't think they hate each other. I, I, I think this is mostly business. Well, Barry Bloom is my guest this week. I want to send a huge shout out to everybody that's listening and watching. I also want to thank our title sponsor, Hacienda Casablanca, out in El Cajon, uh, 700 North Johnson. If you want to head out there and get some great Mexican food, Cindy and Tony will take care of you. And, of course, our good friends at Lacima Oil Company. And $100 gift card is not a bad deal. I fill up uh, my wife's GMC the other day, and it cost me just about that much money uh, to fill that up. So somebody's going to win that today, hopefully. Uh, Barry, let me ask you something. Um, why can't these guys meet more often? Why We've got the lead negotiator for the Major League Baseball Players uh, Association, Bruce Meyer. Uh, and then you've also got the people that are working – uh, with and around Rob Manfred. Rob Manfred did do it for a long time. Uh, I don't know if he's pointed a finger at somebody else to, to head the negotiations or whether or not he's still doing it. But I think uh, Bruce Meyer is in that room along with Tony Clark. Um, I, I know it's Christmas. I, I get that part. But, I mean, how can you walk out of a room uh, seven minutes into a meeting with nine, eight or nine hours left, uh, possibly in the day to try to get something done and just leave it and never come back. And now the word out there is that they're not going to resume this stuff until January. Do you really believe that that's happening? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That Dan Hallam, by the way, is is the old Rob when Rob was under Bud doing the negotiations. So, you know, Rob is not doing the direct negotiations. Neither is Tony Clark. They, they come in. They leave their lawyers to do it. The only difference is, you know, Tony Clark is a player by uh, experience, and Rob is a lawyer. And he was a labor lawyer going back to the 1994 strike when he was outside counsel for those guys even back then. So, I mean, Rob's got a long history. You know, these are very smart probably the smartest group of people and I'm not taking anything away from, you know, what, uh, you know, what Rob did under Bud, but I mean, really, I think once 94 happened and the owners failed in their attempt to break the union and post conditions and institute a salary cap, I think Bud just decided at that point that in the upcoming negotiations, they were going to do everything they possibly could. So it would never happen again. It was just a bad, you know, look. And they, it took, as you know, years for recovery from the 94-95 strike and losing the postseason in 94. And I think now, you know, that was a directive then from the commissioner. The directive now from the owner to the commissioner is really to see how much wherewithal the Players Association has under this structure you know, to uh, withstand, you know, an, an assault. And uh, I think they are charged by some people in ownership group to, to, to push the union to the brink and, and see what they have. I think Rob's whole job for the future is built around this. And, uh, you know, what they've done is, you know, uh, characterized by friends of mine in the union is, you know, they played four-corner offense 
the old four-corner offense, which is no longer – you have to be an old college baseball fan, basketball fan to remember that before there was a shot clock. And teams like Villanova against the superpowers like Georgetown, they would put a guy in each corner of the court and they would just throw the ball around and run down the clock, take a shot, keep them from running it back. It was a, called a four-quarter offense, and it gave them a chance to win against a much more powerful team. And this is what the owners have been doing. The Players Association gave them a comprehensive economic proposal in April. The owners did not counter until August. Their counter in August was a proposal that they knew was going to be dead on arrival with the players. And then, really, they never even hedged on economic issues again until they got to Texas the last week of November. So, I mean, I, I wrote in a story uh, after the World Series that the, 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 the negotiations have been so glacial that it's an insult to glaciers everywhere. And I got a call from the union up in arms about it. And they, they said, you know, though the, you know, the owners are just delaying, they're playing four corners. And I go, well, yeah, you're delaying is you're delaying and it's my glacial. Let's, I don't have, a, don't give me any argument about this. These negotiations have gone nowhere. So to your point, they're still going nowhere. There's been some periphery meetings about non-substantive issues, which you know, are always part of a basic agreement like this, and they have to be formulated. And uh, a lot of times those, those issues are checked off on before you get to the major issues. But as far as the major economic issues, you know, the players made a proposal to the owners in, in Texas. The owners refused to counter. They, I was told that they were uh, given the, those proposals and they said, well, if you don't like these proposals, give us something else. They refused to give them something else. So, I mean, my feeling about it is that this is going into January. You have the drop dead date now, February 15th, which is when pitchers and catchers are supposed to report to spring training. They know what's on the line here. And uh, I think the owners always feel like they can test the resolve of the players. They always, it's always futile. I think it will be futile again. And if the owners don't negotiate with any sort of conviction in January, if they negotiate in January like they did in November, you know, we're not going to have a start of spring training and we're going to lose the start of the season. So it depends to me on who blinks, and, you know, I'll give you my thumbnail on that. Uh, and this is just totally my opinion. It has nothing to do with anything anybody's told me. Just knowing the owners, knowing the Players Association as well as I do, the Players Association, for the, them to blink, there's 1,200 players represented in the Players Association, 40-man roster on every team. The uh, 600 of them are going to have to go to – the executive council of players and the hierarchy and say, we want a deal 601 actually, you know, that's a lot of people 
to go to go against leadership in 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 the union and i think that it's not going to happen because the executive council was all made up of players who they've made their money they are under contract and they're going to tell the younger players look we understand what's happening here but there have been a rasher of players who were in the same position back in the day who did the same thing for us and they took care of us and that's why we are here where we are today so we are taking care of you it doesn't matter that max scherzer signed a 130 million dollar contract with the mets before this all started he's not going to get paid until they start playing baseball again so i i think they have the wherewithal i think they have money in the bank i think they have a lot of licensing money too I think there's plenty of money in the within the players to withstand all this. Now let's go to the owners. We're coming off of two seasons of, of reduced revenue because of the pandemic. Number one, 2020, they played a 60-game season without fans in the stands, and they lost a lot of money, a lot of operating revenue. And Manfred told me it was almost three, it was almost three three billion dollars. You know, last year they started the season and they didn't want to start the season with reduced attendance, but the players held their their feet to the fire and made them play an entire 162-game season. Why, when the owners went to the players and asked them to push back the start of the schedule, they said, fine, but we're not taking a reduction in pay to do this. And the owners wanted them to take a pro rata reduction in pay again just like they did in 2020. And the players said, no, we've got a contract. You can't open it up again. We're playing 162 game season. So they started and played until most places, June, early July at limited capacity before protocols publicly in, 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 in every city started to change to allow bigger crowds and fuller crowds and capacity crowds into ballpark. Now, a third issue part of this is that the owners, you know, have had to like make good on season ticket, season ticket uh, plans for season ticket holders who lost an 81 game season in 2020, part of an 81 game season in 2021, because the most a lot of people couldn't come to games and use their tickets, and all of that is rolling over into 2022. And if you shorten the season again in 2022, a lot of that's going to now roll over in 2023. You really won't get back to owners realizing full local revenue again in 2024. So my hit on it is this, that once you get close to the end of January and, the, and some of the owners realize they're not going to be close to a deal, there's going to be some panic. And some teams that are going to say we are not going into another season losing games with no revenue. And in this case, if they don't play games, they're not going to have the ability to make their television money, radio money, their merchandising, marketing, all of that stuff is going to go down the drain for part of the season again. And in baseball, you know, you have to have 75 percent of ownership to vote for anything. So that's like seven or eight owners who can who can tell Manfred and Hallam, let's get a deal, 
we're not going into the season like this again. And I can name most of them off the top of my head. The Dodgers, the Yankees, all the big market teams are not going to want to go through this again. You know, maybe, you know, the Angels are one because, you know, Artie Moreno is 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 really an anti-union guy. But, you know, I think that you're going to have a, a few even smaller market teams that are going to say, you know, we can't wear, we can't weather this again. I, I really do believe that if it wasn't coming off the two seasons of, of the pandemic, that the owners would be in a much more strong position to go up against the union with this. I don't think they have the reserves. They used up a lot of their reserves to get through the last two seasons. They borrowed a lot of money, over $8 billion, Manfred told me, uh, just to get through the 2020 season. You know, some teams have equalized. Like the Braves said, a lot of it came back during their, their run in the postseason. But a lot of teams just did not. And so I think when push comes to shove, the owners are going to be the, the group that blinks to get a deal done so we don't have a delay in the start of the season. Barry Bloom, my guest, uh, senior writer for Sportico. You can hear uh, just by listening to his comments that he knows what he's talking about. And that's exactly why I asked him to come on this show. You know, Barry, you touched on something earlier that really surprised me that you put it that way because the average person would think just the opposite. And when you mentioned something about the guys that are making all their money, that have already made all their money, they're going to be the leaders in this thing. And they're going to talk to the younger players about going forward and what they need to do. A lot of people think just the opposite, that the guys with the big contracts, they're the ones that don't want to miss any games. And it's the guy, and there's only a, you know, there's not a lot of those guys. There's maybe, what, 100, 130 that are making any kind of big money in the game of baseball. And the other 1,100 guys, are making probably below 600 grand. So that four and a half million dollars that we see thrown around all the time, that the average salary of a major league player is really a skewed number. Yeah, you know, and I think this is the, the way the union was built. If you go back to, you know, Marvin Miller, who just was inducted very belatedly into the Hall of Fame, uh, you go through Don Fear, Michael Weiner, who passed away. Uh, that, that was tragic, and I think it was a really uh, a setback for the union. You know, and, and through the whole growth process, you know, with Tony Clark, because as you mentioned, you know, they've hired Bruce Meyer for this go around of the negotiations, and he wasn't there in 2015 when they negotiated the last time. So I mean, they have a much stronger position than they had back then. But I mean, generally, the, the, the way Marvin built the union was always take the highest paid players and the most high, you know, high profile players, convince them that what you're doing is right, and then have them fan out to the rest of the constituency and tell them why we're doing it this way. And so that you have a history of handing down from one generation to another, of where you're, where Max Scherzer, who I've talked a lot to a lot about this, and has been very candid about it, he he understands that there were people, you know, back then 
whether it was, you know, Roger Clemens or, you know, B.J. Starhoff or Tom Glavin, who was a big person in the union. I mean, these guys was always the high profile guys who basically set the tone for the rest of the union and handed it down to those younger players as they grew older and they inherited the, the, the same thing. So, yeah, whether people understand that or not, uh, and sometimes you can tell people over and over again what's going on and they don't want to listen, but you don't characterize this as, you know, a situation where the younger players are going to override, you know, the older ones because the older ones are, are not going to collect their money until they start playing just like the younger ones. We'll be giving away a $100 gift card from Lasima Oil Company, our friends over there, to uh, a lucky listener viewer. Um, if any of you want to pipe in and ask a question uh, or make a comment, it's got a good chance to end up on the board. Uh, so you can ask a question either to Barry or myself. Probably be better off asking Barry because he's probably got more answers than I do. I can tell you a little bit about the union in the years that, that I was there, but um, my look at this thing might be a little bit skewed because I almost feel like the union is, has given up on a, a great opportunity here to go out and do some public relations. And that being, uh, being that the owners completely shut the game down, at least from the player standpoint and blacked out all their faces on the, uh, the different MLB websites, uh, they basically blocked out the faces of all the people that make them money. I couldn't figure that out, but I looked at that as just a slap in the face from Rob Manfred to the Players Association. And you can tell me all you want, and you're going to have to convince me that you're good friends with both of them, that these two guys like one another, because I can't see it. I mean, I really don't. I don't think Manfred uh, is a believer in the Players Association. I mean, he's not had not had good things to say uh, about him ever since he became involved with Major League Baseball. And I don't think that's changed. Uh, is it in the best interest of baseball to lock the sport down or to take pictures, uh, players' faces, off of the respected team's websites? Is that really in the best interest of the game uh, for the average fan out there? Are these guys even thinking about the average fan? Or are they, as you brought up, just thinking about their pocketbook? Well, I don't – I think the the fan is tangential to all of this at this point. You know, no matter what happens, and, you know, even though it took several – some years after – the 94 strike, 95 strike for baseball to bounce back. You know, you had, you know, the Cal Ripken passing Lou Gehrig's consecutive game streak. You had the Sosa McGuire 98 uh, home run, uh, you know, run at Roger Maris. You're always going to have, you had the Yankees coming into a mini dynasty back again in the 90s. Yeah, oh, there's always something that's going to bring the fans back. So I think the fans will always come. They, they think the fans are always going to come back. And as far as what I mean, they don't like each other. I think individually as people, I think they like each other. They're fine. I, I'm just telling you that, yeah, Manford might not like the union, 
and the union may not like the way Major League Baseball handles them, but I think that that is business. And I think really from, you know, the point of view of, of, of both sides, if, if I'm an owner, and I've had these discussions with people, at some point, the owners have to understand that they do not have a game without the players. You go back to 2020 when they were playing with nobody in the ballpark. And the only revenue they had was their media money basically coming in. And it, it, so they had a television product. Guys were playing games. They were playing it in, the, in stadiums that were empty. And look, I covered a lot of those games in the postseason in the World Series. The ones that they played 12, 13, I think it was 12 playoff games, American League playoff games in 13 days at Petco Park. And I and I covered all of them, and I watched those players play their hearts out. They were playoff games. I was very impressed with the players and how hard they played under very adverse circumstances in that in that situation. So the owners wouldn't even have had their television money if there was if the players weren't there to put on a show. So at some point, the owners have to say, the players are our partners. And how do we cut them into this, you know, sport so that they share the wealth? And if there's a point where they have to share the losses, they will. But you can't ask them when they're making money not to share the wealth. And, and when they're, they're, you know, sustaining losses like they did during the pandemic, tell the players that we're all in this together and we have to share the losses. You know, so it, 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 it's just endemic to the entire situation. And, it, and I, I agree with you about the website. I mean, from what my you know, reporting was about it, that the MLB was in the process of, of, doing, of rebuilding their website. At the time, they were, they were negotiating. And, you know, and they knew that if, if there was a lockout, and I was told it was 100% that there was going to be a lockout, that at 12 o'clock on December 1st to the 2nd, when they announced the lockout, that they would hit a button and the entire website would change. So what to me, and I've had this discussion with people at the union, the union has the opportunity here to beef up their own website and tell the story of what's going on with all the players in the offseason. I was reading a story yesterday where, you know, Aaron Boone was saying that they, in a, in a press conference that he had announcing their coaching staff, Aaron Boone told, you know, the media that he doesn't know what's going on with some of his players who are recovering from injuries because he can't have any contact with those players, you know, it, and they want, he, they won't know what the status of those players are until the lockout is over and they can get back to the facilities again. So, I mean, there are a lot of unintended consequences to what the owners are doing right now. And so the, the, the players association can take advantage of telling their own story to your point by beefing up their own website and telling the story of how players are handling the lockout in the offseason, 
how they're recovering from injury. You know, if you recover, if a pitcher is recovering from a Tommy John surgery and is no longer under care of the team that they're that they were performing for when they sustained the injury, well, what's going on? How's that player? What kind of care is that player getting right now? And what's that player doing during the offseason? You know, they they have a lot of room here to to tell their own story, and whether they do or not, and take advantage of that, you know, is is, is their call. But I think what what you said is really the point. The Major League Baseball has said that there were legal reasons for them taking down the website and all the pictures and information. You know, we could not find a real legal reason for it. I think what it was is just they're telling the players, you know, your medical is under our control. Your marketing is under our control. Your paychecks are under our control. And it's the antithesis to my thesis of them bringing the players into under the umbrella and making them partners instead of making them, you know, like common workers, even at the money they're being paid. Well, that's um, you've used the terminology that uh, that you very seldom hear in Major League Baseball, and that's partners between the owners and the, and the players association. Um, I don't think that's going to happen because the owners don't want to look at it that way. Um, well, in other sports it's happened. So, I mean, if you watch what's going on in the NBA and how the NBA is being handled, even the NHL to a certain extent is in a much more, you know, gracious period between the commissioner and their union. And in fact, you know, Don Fear is the head of the Players Association in hockey, and he has a really good relationship with Gary Bettman, and and Fear was a guy who couldn't get along with any commissioner he ever worked with when he was doing labor for the Players Association in baseball. And that tells me everything about where the two sports are at this point. That's a good point. Uh, As far as changes, uh, that we haven't seen in the game uh, from uh, the past to next year. And, of course, one of the things that I'm talking about is something that one of the viewers just asked uh, a few seconds ago is, do we think that the National League is going to adapt the DH rule? Uh, where, where are you as far as that's concerned? Oh, okay. Well, let, let's go down the list. I mean, the National League is going to adapt the DH rule. Universal DH is coming. It's done. I already wrote a story about this. The last games in the World Series where pitchers are going to be hitting regularly, it's over. You know, that, that's going to be part of the new deal. There's not even a question about that. Okay, before you go forward, hold on for one second. All I want to do is bring out one name, Otani. This what guy about- was the unanimous – choice for the American League Most Valuable Player Award. Yeah, and he was a DA. The only reason reason that he was is because he was a pitcher and also a hitter. So we're never, ever going to see that from an import Caribbean-based player or an American player. The only chance of ever seeing that again is going to be from a player from Japan. Well, I mean, you know, the, the the Padres just picked up a guy who pitches and hits. 
and they can do whatever they want with the guy. So it's like, uh, you know, and he's American. So, I mean, it, first of all, those things are few and very far between. And, you know, really, if there was a DH in the National League, when Otani came out in 2018, you know, AJ, Trevor, a bunch of guys sat down. They really wooed Otani. They told him he would play the outfield regularly on Daisy Didn't Pitch. And Otani was very impressed by the Padres, but he passed on it because the DH wasn't in the National League. I mean, if the DH was in the National League back then, Otani might have signed with the Padres, and history might be different. Who knows? So, you know, it's like Otani is a completely different situation, and, you know, basically he, he if you're Joe Madden and you want him to hit in a game when he's pitching, then in that game you just give up the DH, just like he does when he pitches now. I mean, I well, the reason I, the reason I bring this up, Barry, is because – when you take the bat out of a 13, 14-year-old kid's hands and he never gets to use it until he gets to the National League, he has no chance of being the type of player that Otani is because there's not a DH rule in Japanese baseball. Yeah, there Those is. Kids. No, it's the same thing in in in, in, uh, in, in the Japanese League on baseball as it is here. The Pacific League is the DH. Central League is, is a hitting league with the pitchers. And what will happen is the, if the DH goes by the wayside here, the Central League will be the only league left in baseball that has a hitting pitcher, and that will go by the wayside too. They will go to a complete DH there. I mean, the DH is what you're saying, Kurt, is those kids right now are not hitting. You know, they're unless you're a position player pitcher – when you're a high school kid, you're you're going to go to minor league baseball, major league baseball, not having hit since you were in little league, and you're seeing the result of that in the major leagues now, where pitchers are hitting in the National League who have no clue about hitting. You know, you have the anomalies every once in a while. You know, you have Bumgarner, you have you know Granky, you have you know uh, you, everybody loved the fact when. Bartolo Colon hit his only home run of his career. You know, those are the things that happen. They're fun. They're few and far between. But I, 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 as a traditionalist, and I go back covering the game 45 years, I am tired of watching pitchers hit. I don't want to see it anymore because they don't know how to hit. They can't bunt. They can't hit. The old-style National League game is dead because of analytics anyway. So, I mean, there is absolutely no reason for it. And regardless of whether people want it or want it to stay or not, I'm just telling you it's going away. It's going to be gone in this basic agreement and never to come back. And that's I all. I believe you when you say that. I, I believe you. I think there's yeah, going to be a DH. That's always, you know, you're going to, there's other things. You know, the, I think the, you know, you're going to expand the playoffs to 14 teams, and that's going to help offset the, the problem of the competitive balance because more teams in the playoffs, more teams are going to spend money, more teams are going to be involved in the regular season trying to compete to get into the playoffs. You're going to have a lottery probably in, in the draft, just like other sports, so that teams can't tank to get the first or, or second pick. You know, you're going to probably have the pitch clock at, to speed up the pace of the game. 
Uh, I saw some things, you know, you're going to have the automated strike zone. If not this year, there may be a play-in year of it, and it'll be adopted fully in 2023 as soon as they get all the systems into the ballparks to be able to accommodate it. But I think that, that that's a done deal, too. The umpires are on board with it. I don't think the players are against it. That's going to happen. You know, they're going to memorialize the three-batter rule. Uh, you know, the I liked in the Arizona Fall League watching the two pickoffs per, you know, batter with a runner on first base because it it, it gives the the, 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 the the base runners a chance to run and, and make the stolen base a, a bigger part of the game again. I think you're going to see that. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of things that are going to be adopted in this agreement that is going to change the way baseball is being played on the field. And I think most of it's for the better. Well, I'm certainly happy to hear you say that. Uh, before we let you go, Barry Bloom, my guest, um, if you want to find Barry, go to sportico.com uh, or at, is it Boomski? At Boomski, that's right. At Boomski, that's uh, that's it. Uh, Barry Bloom on Facebook. On Twitter, Barry Bloom on Facebook. Um, tell me real quick about this year's Hall of Fame ballot. Have you voted already? Is your vote in? Yeah, my vote is in. Um, is it public? You know, usually I, you know, I do make my vote, my voting public. Uh, you know, I print the ballot, write a column about it. But I just feel that this year is such a controversial ballot that, you know, uh, I, I decided that there really isn't any value in it in getting into a huge discussion with people about why I voted for some people, why I didn't vote for others. Uh, it, it's a... Uh, you know, a, a, a situation where, you know, you've got a handful of guys on the on the ballot who, you know, Bonds, Clemens, Socha, Schilling, who probably probably should already be in, but are not have been barred for certain reasons by my colleagues. Uh, you know, you add, you know, David Ortiz and A Rod to the ballot, and it makes it even tougher. So, I can tell you that. I voted for, you know, 10, the maximum 10, and I voted for Bonds, and that's about as far as I'm going to go. Well, Barry Bonds not being on a, a checked on somebody's Hall of Fame ballot, you might as well not even have one anyway. That's my position on that one. But there are uh, – there's a lot of other positions on the Hall of Fame, of fame ballots that, uh, that I have that we don't have time for today, but I – Hey, I appreciate it, Barry. Have yourself uh, a wonderful rest of your holiday season. And uh, as always, you are a bundle of knowledge. If you don't mind, I'm going to give this $100 gift card away. Barry, you do, uh, let me just add before I go that I think that there's a good chance that the BBWA is not going to vote for anybody for the Hall of Fame this year for the second straight year. Wow. So you don't think no one is going to get 75% of the vote this year? Right. I think no one gets 75%. And, in fact, a lot of people evidently are following my lead or are thinking like me. And, you you know, with about a week to go to getting your ballots in, 
only about 50 people have made their ballots public this year. So the tracking is, is nebulous. You know, the guys who always get the votes, uh, you know, in the, in the public ballots are never the ones that get the vote in the 200 or 300 ballots that are private. And so, you know, I just think that, but I don't think Bonds and Clements are getting in. I think it's too much crowns for them to make up. And I think Schilling has, you know, really crippled himself with his own attitudes, even though I will say that I voted again for him just simply based on his performance on the field. And I leave all the other stuff, I put, drop it, push it all aside, whether I like it or not, and I don't like it. Uh, but, you know, you, yeah, I, I just think they're, they're not going to get the 75%. I don't think David Ortiz gets it his first time on the ballot either. Well, you heard it here first. No one, as far as Barry Bloom's concerned, or he believes that no one is going to be voted into the Hall of Fame this year. Barry, I certainly appreciate your time. Thank you so much for taking it. And uh, we'll be in touch soon. Okay, Kurt. Happy holiday. Thanks for always having me on. It's always a blast. Thanks. Thank you. Bye now. All right. Guess what time it is? It's 347, but it's time to give away my first LaSema Oil Company $100 gift card. And for all of you out there, call your friends or get in front of a keyboard so you can type quickly because the first person that comes up with the correct answer, and I'm going to have my, uh, my technical guy, Alan, help me out with this, is going to be the winner of this $100 gift card. It's not going to be the last one uh, that we give out. Trust me. It's not going to be the last one. But it is going to be the first one. Week 15, I want to thank Hacienda, Casablanca, out in El Cajon. Uh, this is a great place uh, to enjoy a night out, folks, and, uh, and also our good friends uh, at Lasima Oil Company. Uh, getting back to uh, Hacienda real quick, uh, uh, Tony and Cindy will take care of you. Tell them Kurt sent you out there, and uh, you're not going to get anything special other than the regular treatment they give everybody. Eh, maybe a little bit. Okay. A few episodes ago, Jack McKeon was here on his 91st birthday. God bless him. Still going strong, too. Still driving his wife nuts. He told us a story about being home in 2001 and getting a call from the owner of the Miami Marlins asking him to come back and manage, which he did. And what did he do? He led the Marlins to a World Series championship that year. In doing so, weeks after taking over the job, he learned, and he didn't tell us how, that one of the star players went up to the clubhouse in the middle of a game because he was taken out 
and took a shower, which is a no-no. Even starting pitchers that are taken out of the game in the fourth or fifth inning, even the third, even the sixth, it's just not something that's done in baseball where you go and you take a shower and you abandon your teammates because that's what it's looked. That's the look that you give when you do that as a player. He reprimanded a couple of weeks in. Young players, an older manager. I think Jack was 72 at the time. He reprimanded this player in front of his teammates. And after that, the player went up to Jack and he said, I take responsibility because he knew he was wrong and he was ready to play the next day. And Jack said, man, you can just, just take a rest. And he held him out of the game. Who was that player? If you watch that episode, you'll remember this. The reason I remember it so well and the reason it became our first giveaway question was because of the fact that Jack was so new in the position. That wouldn't fly today. It really wouldn't. You take one of your players out of the lineup, he's going to go up to the front office and gripe and moan like some of these Padre players did last year. We're going to cover all the Padre do's and don'ts uh, that's going on. Naturally, there isn't any player moves. This is all the completion of the coaching staff and all of that stuff. We're going to cover that next week when uh, my guest will be Kevin Kernan, who uh, writes for Ball9.com. He's been in uh, a writer and a journalist in Major League Baseball since uh, 1979. Um, what star player did the Marlins' Jack McKeon reprimand and leave out of the lineup for the following game, following – this player going up to the clubhouse after he was taken out of the game, he wasn't taken out of the game because he was being punished. He just was taken out of the game, and he went up and took a shower. So it wasn't like there was animosity between Jack and this player that led up to this, and there was an animosity after. As a matter of fact, all the players on the Marlins probably respected him a heck of a lot more after this happened because he showed everybody that he's the boss. Something that wasn't done in the Padre clubhouse last year with Jace Tingler. Terrence Morgan said, Mike Lowell, and that is an incorrect answer. Charlie Silvera said, Dontrell Willis. Good guess, but that's also incorrect.
Hey, you can't just come up with multiple answers. That's not fair. It's one answer per person. And if we can't get an answer here, a correct answer in the next couple of minutes, we'll just carry it over until next week where we will come up with another question. So I mentioned something to Barry. Barry really surprised me with uh, some of the things that he said today. In particular, the thing about Max Scherzer and the guys that have already made all the money in the game being the leaders. You know, you can say what you want about the amount of money that's in somebody's checking account and in their investment portfolio, but turning down portions of 30, 35, $40 million for a baseball season is kind of difficult. It's not even kind of difficult. It's really difficult. It's a difficult thing to do. So in my mind, these guys that stick with the union's position and don't budge from it are the real heroes and the guys that really know what's going on. You know, we can go back to all the strikes, minor lockouts, and I say minor because a lockout didn't mean as much back in the 70s and 80s as it does now. You know, these guys basically locked down the game. Although all major league clubs are able to go out and do what they want to with staff, you know, their management team upstairs. I don't think anybody should be able to do anything if Major League Baseball is going to lock the game down. Not just the players. I'd rather have players that are injured being treated by their trainers than the front office being able to hire another coach. The player's more important. There's a lot more that needs to be worked out in this collective bargaining agreement than just the things that Barry Bloom talked about. Naturally, all of those things that Barry talked about are very important. They're things that are, are going to be the brunt of what the collective bargaining agreement's about. DH in the National League, it's already a done deal, as Barry said. And boy, the thing that really surprised me, he doesn't believe anyone is going to get elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame this year. I, I don't see that happening. I think somebody is because Cooperstown makes such a big deal about it. They're not going to lose that marketing idea not having somebody elected into the hall. It's just not going to happen. How do you get around it? Don't ask me. How does J.J. Putz get a vote for the Hall of Fame. And I'm I'm not pointing him out to throw curveballs at him either. Anybody that's played the game for a good amount of time is okay in my books. But let's face it, folks, the Hall of Fame is the Hall of Fame. 
and there's some players that get votes into the Hall of Fame, that's absolutely ludicrous. Well, we got a winner. I don't know how he found it. Maybe he'll tell us. Craig Wadecki said Pudge Rodriguez, and it was Pudge who went up uh, after being taken out of a game by Jack McKeon uh, early in Jack's tenure as the manager of the Miami Marlins. Pudge was one of the stars on that team, if not the star. Uh, went up and took a shower. Jack called him out in front of the team, said, that's not going to happen anymore. So Craig, I hope you got a car with a big gas tank because you're the proud winner of a $100 gift card. Craig said he was a prima donna in Detroit. No, I'm going to send it to you. He, Craig is saying uh, nice enough to say to uh, give it to a local a local person that can use it. You've got Chevron stations in in Detroit, don't you? Chevron, Texaco. I know you got Chevron stations in Detroit. So, Alan, let's uh, let's get a hold of Craig's information. I don't even uh, know if we're uh, associated on social media. Uh, Craig, I appreciate it. Someone may need it more than you. Well, you know what? Good for you. Then put it in somebody's stocking. Or uh, you can send your address to San Diego Radio Joe at gmail.com. And we will send this to you. Producer Joe uh, had to work late, but I can see he's here. So, uh, yeah, he's got a real job. I sit here and have fun with you guys while Joe's working. And uh, he's got a job to do that's really, really important. All I have is information to give to you guys and have guests like Barry Bloom. But, Craig, send it. You can see it in front of you. San Diego Radio Joe at gmail.com. Send your address to him. We'll get this out to you. Uh, I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, I certainly appreciate the help from uh, Joe, the producer, and, uh, and Alan, our technical guy. Like I said, Kevin Kernan will be our guest next, next week. He is uh, a writer for Ball9.com. Uh, he's been a journalist and, uh, and a beat writer uh, in Major League Baseball since 1979, where, guess what? He was with the San Diego Padres. That's when I first met Kurt, uh, Kevin. Uh, I want to thank Hacienda Costa Blanca, uh, Tony and Cindy out there. And, uh, and of course, uh, Lacima Oil Company for the gift card and their sponsorship. If you want to uh, uh, spend a little bit uh, of that gas you got in your car and go out to uh, 700 North Johnson in El Cajon, you're going to pick up yourself. Uh, a pretty nice little uh, meal. 
uh, from Cindy and Tony telling that KB and, and producer Joe sent you. And uh, they'll take special care of you, I'm sure. Uh, until next week, in which... What is today? Yeah, Thursday. Next Thursday, the 30th, Kevin Kernan is going to be the guest right here. So don't miss it. We'll have the start of another guest card challenge. Uh, Merry Christmas to everybody out there. And again, I thank Joe. I thank Alan. And I thank all of you for watching. Until next week, goodbye, everybody.